you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll stand again to read that in a second. But before that, I want to introduce myself, explain what's going on this morning. Um, I'm Robert Tunstall. I am not the, the, the pastor of this church. I'm not the, the guy who preaches week in and week out. But it is my privilege to bring the word this morning. Um, I do work at the church. I do uh, the music and the liturgy each morning. Uh, so thank you to the Martin family for taking over and bringing back some a beautiful old school hymns. Uh, I know that's your heart, man, and I appreciate that you bring that. And those songs are so full, uh, reminding us of the truth of God. Amen. Uh, so why don't we stand back up? <laughs> Hopefully at this point, uh, you're turned to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, as I mentioned. We're going to read together verses 8 through 16. When I'm done reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you could respond, thanks be to God, I would appreciate that. Starting in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to that city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. For if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you can sit back down. I love the question, what do you look forward to? In fact, if you... Have been my friend for even a short amount of time. You've probably asked, uh, heard me ask that question of you. What are you looking forward to? I think it tells a lot about ourselves, about our hearts, our desires when we are looking forward to a certain thing. Maybe right now I ask that question. You're like, man, I, I know what I'm looking forward to. I know what I'm looking forward to. For example, Christmas is in exactly 70 days. I'm not counting, but also sweet, right? This morning, I want to consider a faith that looks forward. Because we have so much to look forward to, church. When we have faith in God's promises, we will see that God will provide for at least three things. God will provide for a greater home. God has promised and will provide a greater people. 
and God has promised to provide for us a greater citizenship. Now, we've been in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is a a great letter uh, to a group of people who are struggling, really challenged, down and out on their faith. These are Hebrews, surprise, who uh, have trusted in Christ. And in, 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 in so doing, trusting in Christ, they bring about some, some struggle in their lives. This is an audience who, in trusting Christ, have traded their homes often, have traded their communities, have traded their families, and certainly have traded their national uh, identity, or also known as their citizenship, for the sake of Christ. Let's look back at uh, chapter 10, right before we were reading in chapter 11, at verses 32 through 36. So look back there. Here is a group of tired, tortured, and ostracized people. Let's read together, starting 32. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. So if they themselves were not afflicted, they chose to identify and put themselves in the place of those afflicted out of love. Verse 34, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully, pay attention, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, you did not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. We're looking forward in faith here. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that, you, uh, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Here is a group of people who have trusted in Christ, lost their homes, families, and citizenship. Things that they valued, treasured, built their lives around, crushed. I could just see them asking the question, How can we be sure that God will provide for us in the midst of this suffering? How can we be sure that God will be faithful to his followers? Chapter 11 is a response to that question. We call it the Hall of Faith. It's a collection of stories of faithful men and women who have gone before them. It's as if the the writer of Hebrews hears this question from a suffering people whom he loves, and he takes a box and dumps out a bunch of receipts on the table, each one a testimony of what God has done before and a promise of the down payment of what he will do in the future. Chapter 11 is all about faith that, per, uh, that preserves us. We read of Abel, Abel was a man who, by faith, worshipped God rightly. It was his faith that led him to worship rightly. We read of Enoch. By faith, through his faith, he was able to walk with God rightly, and God took him home. We read of Noah. By faith, his faith allowed him to fear God rightly when he was warned of the coming doom on the world. 
what we get in these men, these examples of faithfulness, is an overview of Genesis chapters 4 through 11. The writer's taking us back to the beginning. Genesis chapters 3 through 11, from the first sin as exposed in the Garden of Eden by Adam and Eve, up through Abraham, is a cyclical story of God establishing anew his faithfulness upon a rejecting people in the world. We've seen this already in the characters mentioned before. Think of what life was like after the flood waters rescinded. God tells his people, fill the earth, be fruitful, multiply, receive the blessing of my creation that I had you in mind when I made it. Go to the ends of the earth. And what do we read that they do in Genesis chapter 10, right after the flood? Well, we see a, a group of people gathering in one place to make themselves a great city. They make a great tower. This is the Tower of Babel to demonstrate to others and, and potentially even to God to demonstrate their power instead of God's. Instead of taking the name of God as a people of God, they seek to establish a great name for themselves. And God once again steps in to fix the problem that humanity created. It's not good for men to gather in one place like this, God says. So he confuses their language and scatters them all over the earth. And just like after the sin of Adam and Eve in the Eden, or that moment the first raindrops hit the face of believing Noah, Heaven is watching to witness what God is going to do next in the midst of men's unfaithfulness. I really like what Old Testament scholar Christopher Rice says about this situation. He says this, What can God do next? Something that only God could have thought of. He sees an elderly, childless couple in the land of Babel and decides to make them the fountainhead the launch pad of his whole mission of cosmic redemption. We can almost hear the sharp intake of breath from among the heavenly hosts when the astonishing plan of God was revealed. Enter into the story Abraham. This is what the Hebrew audience was very keenly aware of, what was going on and who Abraham was. Abraham lived in the shadow of the Tower of Babel, he lived among pagans who were the most sophisticated cultures in the known world. He lived in a city, which meant he had protection. He lived among stability. He lived with his family, which means he had comfort and the joys of living in a family. He had support. He had a home. To leave this was no small thing. It was a call to leave the familiar things, the things that brought that sense of safety, comfort, and obey God's comfort over you. Obey God's safety over you, the things unseen. This was the call for Abraham. Remember, Abraham's story, as we're about to read, is similar to the Hebrew audience. They, too, were called to leave the comforts of their homes and families and organized ways of worship to worship God rightly, to obey his voice. So who is Abraham? And why is his faith used as an example? 
these answers will clarify uh, why Abraham is used as an example of faith in our story this morning. Abraham is the patriarch of God's chosen people. He is a prototype of faith of the Old Testament and New Testament writers. People like Paul, Peter, the writer of Hebrews, and Jesus alike use him as an example of what faithfulness is. Again, Christopher Wright says, arguably, God's covenant with Abraham is the single most important biblical tradition within a biblical theology of mission and the missional hermeneutic of the Bible. It is through Abraham that God begins his work of redemption through a chosen, redeemed people. Abraham is the beginning of God's mission of redemption through a redeemed people. Did you hear that? God is redeeming the world through a people. And that people group has started in the man Abraham. Abraham looked forward to the promises of God being fulfilled. Our writer is asking the Hebrews to do the same thing. Look forward to the promises of God to get you through what you're going. There's a lot of application already that we could see in that. As we live in a a broken, corrupt world, we feel, we feel it, right? Every day, waking up, feeling sore even, physically, going to work, laboring. You have kids, period. It's tough, man. But what are we looking forward to? And the writer of Hebrew here is saying that we really have something amazing to look forward to. Remember what you just read in chapter 10, verse 36. If you're still there, it says, For you have need of endurance. Amen. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. What is promised? That's the question. What is promised? One note on the topic of faith as we have been talking about faith for the past few weeks We often, or I should say, we most often as Christians, when we think about faith, we kind of think of it as looking back, right? Am am I the only one? We look back at what God has done, at the word of God, the promise of God being fulfilled in Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. However, what we learn in our text this morning is that we must also look forward in faith to the promises of God that are yet to be fulfilled. If we simply only look back to the sacrificial atoning work of Christ, then we miss out on two things. One, what God is doing presently, and two, what God is going to do, what he surely will do in each of our lives. So there's three points this morning that I hope to portray to you. Point one, faith in God's promises provides a greater home. Point two, faith in God's promises provides a greater people. Point three, for those taking notes, faith in God's promises provides a greater citizenship. To have faith in a greater home, to have faith in a greater people or a greater citizenship requires that we understand that these promises in Scripture are real for us and own them and meditate on them 
and desire them and love them, being raptured by them, especially in times of hardship. These are the promises that the Hebrew audience needs to be reminded of, and these are the promises that we too need to be reminded of this morning. So, Let's go back into our text, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. Faith in God's promises provides us a greater home. Verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 12. I want to read that call on Abraham's life from the lips of God. As you turn there, God, this is not the first time in history that God has spoken to his people in the life of Abraham. Think of when God speaks into chaos and brings forth light. Think when God walks and speaks with Adam and Eve in the garden. Or God speaking to Noah to warn, warn him of the oncoming flood. Again, God breaks through the curtain and condescends who he is to reveal himself to his people here in the man, Abraham. So Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 4, I'll read. Now the Lord said to Abram, who will be later be renamed Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. Amen. Abraham did not know God until God revealed himself to Abraham. What was Abraham like before this calling? Maybe you've wondered what was going on in his life. Well, we know, again, he was in the shadow of of the Tower of Babel, but we're also told who he worshipped. In Joshua chapter 24, 2, Joshua says, to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. So what was Abraham like before God calls him? He was an idol worshiper. God did not choose Abraham because he was a righteous man worthy to be chosen, just like God doesn't choose us today because we are worthy of his love. It wasn't Abraham's righteousness that caught God's eye. It was the glory of his own power that he chose to demonstrate through the man Abraham. He chose a 75-year-old man with no children, a pagan idolater to be used to bless the whole earth. And what was Abraham leaving? Well, you can probably already guess. He left his home, his family, and his citizenship. And what was, therefore, what was he obtaining? He was obtaining a promise. He was obtaining a promise in his obedience that God would bless the earth through him, His inheritance would be a new home. It sounds great. I'd love to inherit a new home. He would inherit a people or a family, which is great news because he didn't have kids. 
and you would inherit a citizenship in a land that was God's. The creator of heaven and earth would surely provide for his chosen man. And we are told, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. This is faith. Hearing the word of God and obeying immediately. That, that is faith. Luther says on faith, faith is not knowing where you're going. This is Martin Luther, the great reformer. Faith is not knowing where you're going, what you are doing, what you are suffering, but to follow the bare voice of God and to be led and driven rather than to drive. Think back to the days of your childhood when you would get in the car with your parents. I never once stressed about where we were going. Would we be lost? My dad was at the wheel. I just trusted. He would get us there. This is the faith of Abraham when he gets behind uh, the, the driver's seat of the will of God and trusts that God would get him to where God says he will take him. Notice, notice the way that Abraham believes and responds in a promise. Back to chapter 11 in Hebrews, verse 9. Hopefully you left your finger there. <laughs> By faith, he, Abraham, went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. I like the New American Standard Bible's rendering of this. It says it like this. He says, he lived as an alien in the land of promise. The verb to reside as an alien, one New Testament scholar explains, is characterizing Abraham's status as one who lived as a sojourner. It was temporary. His residency was temporary. He lived out his days without native or civil rights. He left his rights, his native rights, in the land that he was born in, back in Haran. It's always so confusing to me when I watch the news and you hear these stories of people who go to foreign lands, break their laws, and end up in jail. And they're like, what's up with that? You are a foreigner in a different land. You leave your native rights once you leave the soil. And this is exactly what we see in Abraham's life. He traded home, family, city, citizenship to live where? In a tent. Abraham chose to be a pilgrim and a stranger for the hope that he had in the promise of inheritance from God. But we're told Abraham was not alone. We see that he had his wife, Sarah. He would eventually would have a son by the work of God, Isaac. He would live with Isaac for 75 years. Isaac would have a son, Jacob. He would live with Jacob in a tent for at least 15 years, as according to the testimony of the Bible. And Isaac and Jacob inherited the promises of God, not because they were born of Abraham, but because they were told of these promises by their father and in faith trusted in them. They, like Abraham, were called to focus their lives on the future inheritance rather than the present. And I love the example of fatherhood we see in Abraham. His, his faith in God's promises was so great then it was time, when it was time for his son Isaac to get a wife, he said, we need to get a wife from, from Haran, back where we came from. But I'm not sending Isaac. 
I'm not sending him out of this promised land. This is his land. Out of, out of fear that, that he may leave the promised land and go uh, back to Haran to find a wife and settle there and forget the promise of God. See the parental love over Isaac's life even here? Trust the promise. Trust the promise. Yeah, there's other things out there, but what's the greatest is the promise that God has for you in your life. You may wonder, as I have, why not just build a city? He gets to this promised land. Why choose a tent? Why not build this city? Why not fulfill this awesome promise that God has given for him? Why choose the tent life over building a home and laying roots? This is why. And this is key. Because Abraham understood that what he was promised by God was not merely an opportunity. It was not an opportunity to build a tower and make a name for himself. He's seen that already. Didn't go well. He was looking for something different, something that he himself or a man could not build. His expectation was a home built by God. Verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations. He didn't want to lay foundations. He was looking for the foundations that were already laid, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham was looking for a permanent home. He wasn't going to settle for anything less. One which would not decay and rot as he has seen all around him all of his days. Towers crumbling, homes falling. He wanted something that would last because God said he would have a home. So if God gives us a home, then that home surely must last. Especially if he's the one that built it. He had no interest in the great cities of the world around him. They didn't woo him. His mind was not captured by the works of man around him. To Abraham, these things are temporal. In time, he knew they would perish. They would pass away. Just as he would, he too would die eventually. He wanted to inherit a non-perishable home, one that would fit his family forever. What faith. What an example for us. This is the faith that is most difficult because the realities of this world around us are real. I understand this well, church. It's hard not to be wooed by the world. We live amidst a people, a culture of home remodelers and decorators. Frankly, all the best shows on TV and Netflix are fixer-uppers. That's just true. Also my opinion. (laughs) Think about this as an example. On average, Americans spend $3.4 billion on decorations every year for Halloween. Halloween? The curse is real. The faith of Abraham makes me appreciate our church meeting space also. Calvary Demon Grace does not need to meet in a beautiful cathedral to worship a beautiful God. One day we will worship in a home that God himself has built by his hands, 
that will last forever. Something beyond your imagination. You can't even fathom what it's going to look like. In this very room that we're worshiping in now, where we proclaim the name of Christ, where we submit ourselves under the word of truth, this very place will be a good memory, a sweet memory of what God has done in our lives as we worship in the true house of God. Abraham knew that the promised land he was dwelling in was not permanent. True, it was a land, but it was not the land. He knew it as a tent land, a temporal city which would perish and pass away. His faith was set on a greater home. Point two, faith in God's promises provides a greater people. Going to chapters 11, verse 11 and 12, by, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. By the power and hand of God, Abraham would receive a home, and by the same power of God, Abraham and Sarah would produce a child, though they were physically unable to do so. And just as Abraham was called to go, he had to obey and leave. Now, for Abraham to have a son, he would need to know his wife, who was past the year, years of childbearing. You can see where I'm going here. Think of it like this. It's as if God was calling Abraham to be the greatest farmer in the world. Follow along. So imagine this. God takes Abraham to a vast desert. It's hot and dry, nothing growing. As far as the eye can see, just hills of sand and hills of sand and gusts of wind filled with sand. And God says, trust me. Delicious fruit and springs of life and trees overflowing with fruit will fill that land. So Abraham takes the seed given to him by God, plants it in the sand, and from it, a fruitful tree grows. To us, impossible. To God, easily doable for our good. God said to Abraham, take your seed, for in you, in your loins, I will bless all the nations of the earth. We are speaking, of course, of Jesus Christ. So who are the descendants of Abraham then? Who are the fellow heirs of the promises of God as we read them? Well, we've already seen Isaac and Jacob. Jacob later would be renamed Israel. Israel would have 12 sons who would become 12 tribes. So as we read through the Old Testament, surely the inheritors, the heirs of Abraham, are this bloodline called the nation of Israel. But it's not a bloodline that receives the promise, we're told. It's a faith line. This is why John the Baptist warns the Pharisees at the beginning of Christ's ministry, these Pharisees, these pride religious leaders, he warns them not to trust Abraham as your father if you do not worship God in your heart. Matthew chapter 3. So who are then the descendants of Abraham? 
If it's not national Israel, who is it? Well, you could turn to Galatians chapter 3, as we'll read in 7 through 9. It is those who believe the gospel. Well, did Abraham believe the gospel? Abraham believed the gospel. He did? Abraham believed the gospel. Turn to Galatians 3. We'll start in verse 7. Listen to this. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Verse 8. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify Gentiles by faith, listen, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. From Abraham and Sarah's faithfulness and the promise-keeping power of our God, we are descendants of Abraham. Just as Isaac and Jacob were a better company to Abraham than the whole city of Haran, we together are a people of God that worship, live together, dwell together in spiritual tents as we await the promised future and a perishing city we live. By faith in his promise, God provides a better people. Point three. Faith in God's promises provides a greater citizenship. Let's continue reading verses 13 through 16 to end our text. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. All of these died in faith, speaking of Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob. They lived in faith, and they died in faith. They did not see the city built by God's hands. So the only explanation that would make sense to one in this situation would be that that foundation that's promised is not for here and now. It's a promise that will be fulfilled later. Sometimes we're mistaken when we think of the Old Testament primarily as being primarily focused on physical blessing and land. And the New Testament primarily be uh, focused on spiritual blessing and heaven. But this is not the case, as we could see in the life of Abraham. Biblical scholar Michael Kruger says, we tend to think of the Old Testament stories to be about physical things and not about spiritual things. As if the Old Testament people of God only cared about earthly longings. And if you want to discuss spiritual things, you need to wait for the New Testament. No, this is not the reality of Abraham. This is not the reality of the people we've already read about in Hebrews 11. We have seen a demonstration of faith beyond this world in these men. They died in faith, it says. Faith is not given to us so that we should escape death. Faith is given to us so that we should escape the coming judgment, the just and good judgment. Faith is not given to us that we may only live by faith. Faith is a great gift given to us so that we may die faithfully. 
We're speaking of faith here. Verse 1, who gives, uh, in, in Hebrews 11, gives us a great example and uh, definition of what faith is. It's an assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But in our text this morning, we read here that they have seen the promised things and greeted them from afar. Greeted from afar is not speaking of a physical distance, as if that promised land was only seven miles south, and if they just picked up their tents and moved, then surely they would have inherited it. It's not speaking of a physical space. It's, think, it's speaking of a temporal space, time. They greeted the promises of God from afar, but they greeted them. This means that even though the things were literally unseeable, Faith had given them a vision of what the promise is. What does that mean then? It means that our faith gives us spiritual sight. The Spirit of God gives to his believers faith that they may see things that the world cannot see. When you see things that others don't see, you're called crazy. You're called foolish. Yet we live in a world where we see things by faith that the world does not see. Surely Abraham could have just moved into one of the great cities that surrounded him. By just being there, he would have been a blessing. But he chose the tent life. He chose the foolish thing. He he chose to trust in a promise that was guaranteed to him by faith. And just as Abraham was called to go, Uh, Pardon me. Pardon me. We're also told that in verse 13, that they were strangers and exiles. 14, that they were seeking a homeland. 16, that they were desirous of a better country. Again, the New American Standard Bible has a slightly preferable translation, in my opinion, when it says in verse 13, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They confessed it. They didn't just accept it. They didn't just know it. It says, he confessed that I'm a foreigner on earth. And because they were foreigners here on earth, get this, if their citizenship isn't here on earth, then it must be somewhere else. If your citizenship isn't here, then it's somewhere else. Because we all have a citizenship. Each of us was born into something. So where is the citizenship, church? Where is our citizenship? You're right, heaven. I know you're thinking that. Our citizenship is in heaven. Abraham chose not to live in the mighty kingdom surrounding him so that his life would be a testimony to the promises that were coming. And do you feel it? Do you feel it? I feel it. Do you feel that longing for being in your homeland, living here today, now in our time? Do you feel that longing for your promised citizenship in heaven as a better citizenship? This is a cool thought. Think of this, church. This means that when we get to heaven, as God promises we will in faith, that heaven will feel 
more like home than anything you've ever known. You won't walk into heaven and feel, this is weird. This is a strange place, but I could, I'll probably get used to it in time. No, no, that's not what we're told. We're told that when we arrive in heaven's doorstep, we will feel more at home than we have ever felt in our lives. I desire it. I really want it. I love this country I live in, but spiritually I'm a foreigner here. In my heart and my spirit, I long for my greater citizenship. This is the faith that we're called to, church. And this is the faith that God attaches his name to. God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's unashamed to attach his name to these men of faith. Verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. As we wrap it up, I would like for you to turn to John chapter 14. God has prepared that city for them. The foundations are laid. When we arrive in heaven, there won't be a construction site. He's done it. At the end of Christ's earthly ministry, after the Last Supper, he tells his disciples that he needs to leave them. And of course, they respond with sadness and confusion. God, why would you leave us, Lord? Hear Jesus' words of comfort to his first disciples in verse chapter, uh, John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. He's leaving them. Their hearts are troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in the promises of God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you also may be. The house is built. We have a promise that not only will we inherit this, or we heirs with Abraham of that promise, but our Savior is going to return and bring us home. The other day, this past week, I was driving, and I saw a sign outside of a church. It said, real big, real beautiful, real colorful, we are all children of God as means to attract people to their church. It was meant to be an encouragement to those who read it as they pass by. I was not encouraged, excuse me. The sign broke my heart because it preached a false gospel. Excuse me. There are many people who do not know God nor trust in Christ nor put their faith in the promises of God, who read that sign, and they'll say, well, if a church says I'm good, 
If I'm a child of God, I must be okay. God is love. However, Jesus says that there will be many people who God will say to them, Away from me, I never knew you. A parent does not speak of a child in this way. There are those, however, who God is unashamed of. He is unashamed of some to be called their God and attach his name to them. And just like Abraham, you're not God's chosen because you are found to be righteous before God. When God finds us, we are idolaters, just as he was to the core. And then God speaks. And we hear the voice of God, and by faith, namely that redemption freely offered to us by the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ, we are then and only then considered to be righteous before our Father. I remind you of what we read in Galatians chapter 3. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And if you are Christ, he says in verse 29, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heir according to the promise. So here's my application. It's simple. I ask you to ponder these realities. Ask yourself, where is my true home? Ask yourself, am I a member of God's people? Ask yourself, is your citizenship primarily in heaven or is it found here on earth? Let me prompt that pondering with some questions. What gets you excited? Is it your earthly dwelling? Your temporal home? Or your eternal home that's promised to you to all of those in faith? Which are you investing more in? More time, more money, more effort? Who are your people? Who do you affiliate with? What I'm about to say will rub some of you the wrong way. That's okay. But I say it as a challenge, not to imply that politics is, is wrong in and of itself, or voting is not important, or wanting to see laws that are best for your children or for your neighbors. But who are your people? Is it a certain political party that makes you more passionate than the promises of God found in his word? Let me challenge you. If you're more passionate about making our country great, greater, or great again, at the cost of loving your souls around you, souls that both hate and love the American flag, and these souls which are on a path to hell, then I challenge you to reevaluate your citizenship. Where is it? Again, this is an anti-American rhetoric. It's first and foremost pro-heaven speech. So do you have faith in the future promises of God, church? Because if you do, you will look forward to your true home, your true people, and your true citizenship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, and we cannot thank you enough for promises that you 
placed on your people, a people who are completely undeserving of a better home. We're undeserving of a great eternal family. We're undeserving to be counted as citizens of your heaven where you dwell. Lord, I pray that this message this morning doesn't cause some of us to desire so much to escape this world that we forget that we are still on mission. But I hope that it properly find its place in a forward-looking faith, God, and realigns our loves to love what you love and to look forward to what you look forward to. We pray these in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.